and I'd never really come across Save Garden um, until sort of 2016. And the reason I come across Safe Garden, and I don't mind sharing this with you and other people, is that I was a victim of child abuse when I was a young boy, playing in a local boys club from 11 to 16 year old. Hi, it's Martin. Welcome to another edition of Positive Differences. I'm joined today by Derek Bell of Carol and Bell Training and Consultancy. Derek, how are you doing today, sir? I'm fine, Martin. How's yourself? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad at all. Um, so, so, Derek, um, you do a lot of work in safeguarding and mental health. Um, and, and it's a topic that I think people probably need a bit of help with at the moment. Um, how, how did you get into that? And, and what are you up to at the minute, I suppose? Yeah, uh, as you say, I think quite two topical subjects at the present time. Obviously, after COVID, um, you know, people's mental health has suffered somewhat um, for all sorts of reasons. And obviously, safeguarding, I particularly deal with safeguarding in sport. Um, so, yeah, safeguarding, again, is, is, is quite topical within sport. Um, looking at some of the... The, the issues that uh, sport has, uh, safeguarding has arisen from sport, uh, looking after children. Um, so, yeah, it is, it, is, it is a quite topical subject at the minute, of which I've got uh, a little bit of experience in. Okay, and so, so some people might be sitting here thinking, I recognise this guy from somewhere. Um, we'll get the obvious out of the way. You, you, you've got a sporting background. Yes, um, obviously ex-professional footballer for Newcastle United. I was at Newcastle after leaving school in 1979, that many years ago, and managed to fulfil my dream, basically, and play for the tune, as they call it. Um, and I fulfilled that dream. I was 19-year-old when Kevin Keegan was a player, Terry McDermott, Mick Martin, David McCready, some, you know, real, real players. Um and I uh, made my debut in 1983. Uh, I only managed four games. Um, and then I had a, a knee injury, which curtailed my career in professional football. Um, I did my crucial ligaments at Old Trafford. Uh, after playing the week before in front of 30,000 screaming to army fans with the likes of Kevin Keegan and the rest, it was, it was fulfilling my dream as a boyhood dream to, to play for my hometown club. So, yes, I have. Got a bit of background, obviously being an ex-pro. I then didn't play for a while and managed to play non-professional with uh, Gated for over 10 years. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, I think I think you'd have to have lived in a cave not to have known some of those names you threw around there. I always remember David McCready. I don't know why, I've always just... I think he looked like Mjungle when I was a kid, so I always thought Mjungle might have played for the tune and never quite, never quite shared, but... Um, Yes, yeah. great names. And I, th I think he's had a catch-up recently as well. Did he have a catch-up? Did I see you on did, your social? did, yeah. I mean, I still keep in touch. I'm part of the Ex-Players Association at, at Newcastle. And uh, we, the club every year, invite players down who, not so much your Alan Shearers or your Peter Beardsies, those people who played, you know, in real household names. But basically everybody um, who has signed a professional contract um, and... Being part of the committee, speaking to the club, 
they were very good in inviting us to a, a game uh, just two weeks ago where it was a good catch-up with all the guys because we're getting a bit older, we're getting a bit fatter, we're getting a bit greyer and some people lose their hair. And, you know, so when you, you get about 120 ex-players in a room, uh, you know, going from lads who played in the 1969 First Cup final, David Craig, Pop Robson, you know, to people who maybe have not been sort of household names. But when I was there for the four years, I made some good, good people I come across and still keep in touch today. So it was good of the club to do it. We'll not talk about the game. Um, but yeah, it was a good catch up with the lads. Yeah, it's easy not to talk about football when you're a Toon fan for at least two thirds of all games or better off not being spoken about often, aren't they? Um, so, so, so Derek, what's, because obviously you, you kind of, you, you realise your dream, as you said, you played with some awesome players, you knew some awesome players, um, probably played against some kind of players, but we're not really here to talk about football, I hope you don't mind. Um, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sure people can catch it, you know, bump into your buy your pint and, and get some stories off you once, you know, if they want that, yeah. but... Um, what 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 led you into safeguarding then, and how how did you get into doing what you do at the moment? Well, um, I come across safeguarding about in 2016, and just to give you a, a little sort of history of of, of myself, um, I predominantly worked in housing and social housing in Newcastle, and I'd never really come across safeguarding um, until sort of 2016. And the reason I come across Safeguarding, and I don't mind sharing this with you and other people, is that I was a victim of child abuse when I was a young boy, playing in a local boys club from 11 to 16 year old. And I held this in myself for over 25 years and finally disclosed um, after a, a, a mental breakdown where I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act, uh, Section 3. Um, and people who know about mental health, it uh, basically is that you you were uh, kept in a secure unit. Um, and I come across Safeguarding around about 2016 um, because I went to court with my abuser in 2002 and he got seven years. And at the time... In 2002, I, my mental health and well-being was not in a very good place. Um, I'd had nightmares and, and recapped loads of memories. And um, although I got the conviction at court, um, I didn't feel well enough at that time to come forward and waive my anonymity. Stroll on 2016, watching the television one night some 14 years later, um, a guy called Andy Woodward and Paul Stewart and a lot of ex-footballers started to come on TV and talk about historic child abuse at likes of Man City, Southampton and other uh, top clubs. And I said to my partner at the time, I was in a good place then. And I said, you know, I want to come out and help and support some ex-players who maybe are still suffering from... Uh, any type of abuse, really. Uh, obviously, mine was sexual, but try to help people with any type of abuse. And it was that point in 2016, I thought, well, if I'm going to talk about my experiences and wave my anonymity, I wanted to learn about Safeguarding. Um, and I met my business partner, Justine Carroll, 
and she upskilled myself in training. So I'm now a level one advanced designated safeguard and lead trainer. Um, so it's only the past five years that really I've been quite involved and passionate about safeguarding. And I've done a lot of work in sport over the past five years, obviously COVID restrictions. So it was basically then in 2016, we had my admittedly led to uh, my abuser, George Orman, getting rearrested. Um, it, it then followed a two-year investigation by Northumbria Police, and he was reconvicted in July 2018 and sentenced to 20 years imprisonment, of which he's obviously still in prison now. So I really came across it from my own personal experiences as a young young man, but didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and then I started to learn about mental health. Obviously mentioned before the, 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 the difficulties I have suffered over the years. And I thought, well, if I want to talk about mental health and try and help people through through the, them situations, I need to learn about it. So I'm now a fully qualified mental health first aid trainer. And we deliver safeguarding and mental health training to the care industry and sporting industry. Um, I'm working with the ACB and Durham Cricket at the present time. Uh, we work with British Gymnastics. Uh, so I really, really feel passionate about it, but not for me, um, because as I say, it, it, I want to try and help people who maybe have been suffering their mental health and well-being or suffering from abuse, doesn't matter what type of abuse in, in the past. And that's what I'm passionate about now. And and it's it might feel quite topical at the moment as well, of course, because we had um, Simone Biles, I think, pulled out of the Olympics there. Obviously, I don't know the full tale, but she, yeah. she said she wasn't mentally prepared or ready for it. And I think there was a tennis player as well pulled out of one of the, the, the majors recently because right, she yeah. didn't want to go in front of the cameras. Who can blame yeah. her? Um, yeah. And actually, it was quite... I mean, the, the, the text one's quite interesting because I found that... She, I mean, she was actually throwing out the tournament because she wouldn't do the press. Yeah. Which seems a staggering thing to still have in any kind of yeah. walk of life. Because is that not then an admission that it's less about the tennis and more about the, the endorsements and the celebrity that you can actually get thrown out of a tournament for not being interviewed? Yeah, I haven't... I mean, in 2016, I worked with the FA and done a lot of work around safeguarding at grassroots level in football. Because prior to 2016, and just talking about sport in general, safeguarding really was never on the agenda uh, by the governing bodies. Um, obviously working with the FA over the past four years, uh, it's really on the agenda now. And, and I think recently footballers took a bit of a hit but when you deep down and when we speak to British gymnastics and, and, and uh, cricket, I mean, uh, being involved with Durham, Ben Stokes, who's the England captain and player at Durham, Ben has took time out because of, of, of his mental health. I think we've got to break down the stigma, Martin. Um, and uh, it's difficult to, to how you approach that subject. But I think the more, t more times you talk about it and particularly men in sport, there's always been that sort of, I'm the big macho lion, if you like. And sometimes that's not the case. And certainly in my case, I, I, I uh, had uh, had mental health problems and still have to this day, 
Uh, don't worry, I've took my tablets this morning, so I'm well. Um, but yeah, and I, I think it's just breaking down that conversation. You know, having them difficult conversations that, you know, even in the workplace, um, I'm doing some work next week with Greg's, the, the, the bakers with managers there. Um, and it's breaking that conversations down to, to, to say, I don't feel okay. And yeah, I was, it was quite bizarre, the tennis situation where she was throughout the tournament. And, and you just think that, well, that's not supporting anybody in any way. It's just actually, you know, putting another nail in the coffin of what that person may be feeling at that particular time. And so, yeah, I think it's opening up the, them difficult conversations is always the, the, the hardest part. But once yeah. you start get going, it, it quite flows. I, I, I didn't think it was particularly interesting because the tennis player, uh, whose name I really can't remember, meaning because I'm not a tennis fan, <laughs> but um, you know, she she was was told, well, if you don't do this, you're out of the tournament, which which is basically bullying, bullying or coercion or wh whatever you want to call it. But it's it's you know forcing someone to do something they don't want to do is surely the, the the definition of something that we shouldn't be doing as society, isn't it? 100%. Uh, it's just, well, it, it doesn't, I, I was going to say it doesn't surprise me, but um, it, it, it doesn't really doesn't. Because I think sport in general, and particularly in the UK, um, I think we're way behind in safeguarding. If you, if you put it on a parallel to education, you're in schools nowadays, um, kids are educated on who the welfare officer is, who you can go to, they have a lot of good um, policies and procedures regarding bullying. Um, the internet is a, is a massive thing for kids now. Um, so I think education, although sometimes they do get hammered a bit, you know, they're quite ahead of the game in safeguarding and helping people with mental health problems. I think it's all you can always keep learning and, and, and still a long way to go. But I do a lot of work in schools and I find schools are, are, are quite happy to engage in difficult um, situations. And it's like, you know, would you send your kid to school? Yeah, you know, he's going to be safe. And you ask questions, who's, who's the safeguarding? Is he going to be safe? Is he going to get bullied? You know, is he going to get be harassed? You know, you ask all them questions in school, but you send a kid to a, you know, train twice a week playing any sport, and then on a Saturday for four hours or five hours, they'll be away. But we don't ask the same questions. Just, you know? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm always told with things like this because sometimes it feels like red tape and admin and bureaucracy gets in the way of things. But there are some things that it should get in the way of, aren't there? You know. You, that, that yeah, you, you shouldn't be allowed just to jump on a bus with you know twenty kids and take them away for five hours. It's it's I know it's not that simple either. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I understand where you come from, but but you know I think in the world we live in, we we tend to look when I'm when I'm dealing in sport that you know some people do it yes for the enjoyment, uh, but that unfortunately there are people there who drop the kids off and. You know they don't see them for for five hours and they'll be shopping or doing whatever they do not really worried well would you do that to a school i don't know so yeah that, i think we've got to look at the the bigger picture of making sure the kids are safe and that's why the work i do 
is try to embed them policies and procedures that they're out there, but they just need being out there, if you know what I mean. Making them policies and procedures have legs and you know, asking pertinent questions that people might feel uncomfortable with, but who are you looking after? You're looking after your kids, essentially. And you make a good point, actually, because, um, you know, I think people probably just assume schools are okay, whether they should or not. I, yeah, I'm not, not going to get into that, but yeah, mm -hmm. schools probably are assumed to be a safe place. And then by extension, you would think, well, surely if you go away on a school trip with the school, surely that's going to be fine. But then I, I know because our youngest is about to go on a school trip, and I know some of the parents are saying, well, well, but yeah, but which teachers are going, who they're going to be with, how many are going. And you ask all of that, but yet, you know, we've got a footy tournament in Nottingham, we're all getting the coach down. There doesn't seem to be the same questions about, well, who's going, how many will be there? Yeah. It's just like, oh, well, it's footy tournament. I, well, I'm used to dropping them off and Absolutely. dropping her off at whatever, you know, and just die. It doesn't seem to get the same, same much attention, does it? So, 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 Derek, what? Um, I mean, what, 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 what are the key things that are missing from your, 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 your grassroots sports then? And, and, and is it just a resource issue or an education issue that causes the issue? I think it's a bit of both, Martin. I think there's, there's certainly a resource issue. And I was part of the recent Sheldon inquiry uh, into football. Um, that. That inquiry lasted four years. It was funded by the FA. Um, it was meant to be independent, but how independent it is when the FA are paying for it begs a question. <laughs> Anyhow, I was interviewed about five or six times by Sheldon and Mr. Sheldon in London and in Newcastle. And we put recommendations to him because the top Premier League clubs, your Man Cities, your Newcastles, your Liverpools, your top six, if you call them, if you like, you know, the amount of money in football, they've got three or four safeguarding officers working within them. They have well-being people paid by the clubs working in them. So it's not really at the elite level that we need to, to look at it. It's in my recommendations to Mr. Sheldon was it's at the grassroots level where funding and you go outside the Premier League, to be honest. I speak to people in, in Sunderland and, and in Middlesbrough and Hartlepool who are outside the Premier League, and there's no funding for safeguarding. Yeah. You know, where's well, the Premier well, League? Whether they want to do it or not, it doesn't matter if you can't pay the wage. Yeah, once you go out the Premier League, everything, you know, everything reduces uh, education, uh, staffing, um, because it's the funding. So there's, there's a big, big funding issue at the lower level in grassroots uh, and outside the Premier League. Um, the second thing, education. You know, up, to, up until 2016, when we worked with the, the FA, they didn't have a database. They didn't have a safeguarding procedure as, as such. They had a basic one, but it was very ticky-boxy, very basic. Um, and didn't really, I mean, to be honest, you you being where you are you know, on Zoom could do my, my safeguarding course, three-hour course. So I think as an education point of view as well, um, you know, all coaches should, at my point, be, be at least level one uh, in safeguarding. Um, and, you know, there should be welfare officers at the club where it's not there as a, as a post. I think in the past, and I've been part of a, a local 
uh, boys club when my son played. And I used to say, who's a welfare officer? But it was a ticky box exercise. And I think it was because he was a friend of a friend of the chairman's that uh, because of volunteers, it's, it's a bit of an unthankful task. Yeah. But quite, quite prioritised, you know. What, um, what, what would you say to people who say, well, well look, I've, I've been, you know, training kids for 30 years, never had any trouble. You know, what, what the hell can you teach me about looking after kids? I would die for these kids. And, and, and I suppose it's, it's, it's not just them, is it? It's making sure that the others around them, because it's, it's not just saying don't mistreat kids, don't, you know, it's about spotting if there's other people around or spotting if the kids are in trouble at home. And I presume there's a whole host of things that you can cover here, is there? Yeah. And this is one of the things when we've done some research on, um, you know, uh, kids, uh, we've done about a hundred clubs and we've done some research with a bit of a sort of mapping out exercise and a kid will, will disclose something to you and they'll not come out and disclose it. Some people will say things straight away. Some kids will give you little bits of information. Um, so it's about how to how to see the warning signs. Um, because as I said before, in school, they're, you know, they're quite robust in the in the anti-bullying policies and stuff like that. But in in sport, um, it's tend not to be taken as seriously. I think one of the other issues is, is, and I've come across it, and I'm sure you have, and is is parents. You know, parents on the touchline um, can be quite abusive uh, to kids. Uh, coaches can be quite abusive to kids, and it's how we 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 tackle that situation, and 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 making sure the clubs have a, a strict code of confidence, sorry, uh, conduct code of conduct that everybody abides to. And if they don't, yeah. then they shouldn't be a club. Because um, so, yeah, the touchline's touch an interesting place in, um, in in the lower leagues, isn't it? Oh, I've, yeah. I've, I've stood on some interesting touchlines and um, experienced some interesting events from there. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure everybody has, you know. And But I think, again, it's, it's how you educate people to know what the reporting procedures are. You know, if you see an unruly parent or the coach might be bullying a, a child, you know, what are the reporting procedures? So I think it's an education point. It's certainly a financial point because at the end of the day, everybody's a volunteer. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, when you volunteer for something like Safeguarding, um, it, 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 it comes with a lot of, lot of, of, of problems, if you like, as well. Do, do you think there'd be an argument for the FA funding kind of regional safeguarding for, for I suppose, because your local club doesn't need three full-time safeguarding officers and a wellbeing team, but they could probably do with a couple of visits a year, if nothing else, from someone who was paid for by the FA, you know, situated regionally. You could, you could have maybe a couple of dozen people on the FA's payroll, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even know they were there. But they could start to make a difference, couldn't they? Absolutely, that's a great point, and that's some of the recommendations that we put for Sheldon, is to have at a county level, um, paid posts funded by the FA or the Premier League, um, 
where they go out and do spot checks and where they, they look to make sure that, and unfortunately in Sheldon's report, for me, it, it didn't mention any of that. Um, it basically touched over grassroots sport and you know the amount of money that is in football or any sport really obviously you know we've just had the olympics there and um you mentioned the american gymnast um but you know the funding really for for for, for sport although we get lottery funding and i've done some work with sport england um they they're claiming it you're trying to get money from all over and there's no government who's really took a grasp on this and say, yeah, we got so many Olympic medals. We've done fantastic at the Olympics. But then when you look at some of the, you know, the then changing rooms that I was in 40 years ago, you know, the, yeah. the, the yeah. holes and ceilings and, you know, I knew I was even watching TV last night and come across BMX and, you know, the, the, the girl who, who won the, 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 the Olympics, but her club is going to be shut down in Manchester yeah. because yeah. of lack of funding. Now, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go down the political road, but certainly, you know, if we want to perspire in sport, we've got to put some money into to grassroots, you know, at all types, at all levels, whether it be on equipment, whether it be on um, venues, and to keep people safe. What, 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 what do you say then? Derek, if someone says, yeah, but everybody wants money for everything, you know, we've got to keep the bins empty, the grass cut, the, the, the hospital staff, school staff. But I think there's a fair argument here that the more people you get involved in staying fit and healthy, learning how to be competitive in a healthy way, winning, losing. I mean, th those things can save money in so many other places, can't they? If you can have, you can have a fitter, healthier bunch of people, that, that, that's going to save money, not cost money, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, and again, we touched on before about mental well-being, you know. And when I was sort of uh, suffering quite a lot, um, you know, I, I was recommended to join a gym, um, you know, and get out and be active. Um, uh, so it has that effect. And if obviously, unfortunately, COVID the past eighteen months has been difficult for everybody. Um, but now, once obviously restrictions have been uh, lifted somewhat. And it's it's out to kids to be active and get out doing exercises and, and get involved in sport or any activity, really. It doesn't have to be sport. It could be out walking, hiking, you know, whatever it may be. Obviously, it has a knock-on effect for people's well-being and mental health because the more active you are, I mean, researchers has said this, the more active you are, then the more likely you are to have a better well-being. Well, well, I'm, I'm going to say his name. You haven't yet, but maybe Mike Ashley was right. Maybe Sports Direct was an essential retailer, Derek. Next question. <laughs> so, well, there wasn't a question there. It was an observation. We'll not, we'll not invite right. any comment. Um, no. Uh, yeah. So, um, just, just, I mean, I mean, who, who, who was behind the scenes back, back in your days? Then was it, um, was it like Shepherd Hall or who? I, I no, it was it? Was history it, back you, you're old enough to, to know this, Martin. So Stan Seymour was a chairman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Stan it, Seymour, he was a funny character. He, um, I, I always remember this story once. We were, uh, he, for those of people who don't know, Stan Seymour was a, a guy who had been at the club for about 
15, 20 years, very old school, um, didn't really run clubs the way they are run now. And was, he had a sports shop in Newcastle and I think he sort of fell into being chairman of the club. And he was quite a large man, shall I say. And uh, I remember going on the bus to one game and he got on the bus and he used to wear braces. And this particular day, he, 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 he forgot his braces and he stepped out of his car and we're all waiting on the bus at St. James's Park to, to go to away, an away game. And his trousers fell down. <laughs> and he, he just had these long johns on, like, you know, and, you know, he got the chairman of the club running, running, running across at St. James's Park car park, trying to get on the bus because he didn't have his braces on, you know. So his pants around his ankles. I couldn't see Mike Ashley or Roman Abramovich or, um, you know, <laughs> doing that. But Stan Seymour was at, around at the time in the old days. Class, class. Um, so, 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 Derek, you said you're working with the cricket board and, you, you know, you've looked at gymnasts and obviously football. Do, do you think this kind of thing, the, the, these issues just apply to all sports equally? Or, or I'm, not, I'm not asking you to single out who the bad guys are here, but do, do, is, is, it, is it more the clubs that have no money, you know, small grassroots? Or does it happen just as much in your equestrian and that kind of thing? Or... I think what we found in I've done some work with Sport England, uh, you know, around all sports, and and I think football took a bit of a hit in 2016 because of the explosion of of, of my, like some myself coming forward and you know other sort of you know more high profile players coming forward, and I think football got banded as being the bad boys, if you like, but after doing some work with the FA. They've put the house in order somewhat, uh, still a long way to go. But now we've started, I think, what then other sports looked at their safeguarding policies and procedures and thought, oh dear, we need to do something here. So I think it's really the start of a process that is being looked at by the certainly the ACB, which I'm involved with now. Uh, there's 38, 90 first-class cricket clubs They've just gone through an internal review and I'm helping them, well, helping Durham uh, go through that review. So I think it's across all sports. And unfortunately, I think football, because it was, it was predominantly where everybody watches match of the day or Sky or whatever it is now. And, it, and, and it's, it's quite a, a sport that, that, you know, gets a big, big population of, of, of people watching. Um, but looking at it and looking behind it, and not naming organisations, but the white report is due to come out in British Gymnastics. Uh, it was meant to be out in August. It's been delayed till December. Um, and that quite may be damning on gymnastics. So Yeah, I mean, there's uh, a lot of stories. If you, if, if, you, if, you know, if, you, if you think it's just football, just, just look at what happened to some young gymnasts back in the day who were forced to train on, on injuries who... I mean, literally snap their necks because they couldn't pull the move off because yeah. they were made a train when they weren't fit. And it's horrific, you know. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not yeah. so much the sexual, it's more the physical side. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, which again, you know, it's still abuse um, in whatever form, whether it be physical, neglect, um, or sexual, or whatever it may be, it's still abuse. Um, so, yeah, I think. You know, when people talk about abuse, they don't look at the emotional side of things. It has the impact on as well. Uh, of where, where, wherever you get any type of abuse, 
you will have an emotional impact on that child or as like myself when I became an adult many many years later um, it, it, it did have an emotional impact uh, how do you um, how, how do you square the fact in Derek that, that obviously you're still the same person I mean did did you you mentioned this guy was re-prosecuted after you kind of gave up your anonymity was was that because other people came forward and, and and did he get some satisfaction from seeing seeing what happened there then or yeah I think to be perfectly honest you never get closure Martin um you know you still wake up every day and you know I still have have thoughts about it I mean I've had 15 years of CBT therapy on and off um so I think you 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 you, you live you you, you you live with it, if you like, and but learn the coping mechanisms for when you do feel a bit down, when you do feel a bit anxious, um, you know, because of the therapy I've had, it helps me um, to, to, to live a normal life, if you like. Um, there certainly was dark moments in, in the past. Um, and, you know, hopefully, what that's the reason why I got into Safeguarding, because I wanted to do something positive you know, I wanted to do something positive to help others who may still be suffering now, my age. I, I come across people now, talk to me about what happened to them when they were a child. Um, so if if we can put the message out, is it say it is okay not to be okay. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of strap lines going about now, but it, it certainly is okay not to be okay. And I think in the Many years ago, it was difficult to uh, come forward because there wasn't safeguarding officers, there wasn't DBS checks. To be a coach, if you had a set, if you had a bag of balls, you were a coach. There was no coaching badges what there is now. So there's been a lot of good work over the years, and and certainly, you know, there's been a, a governments introduced safer recruitment, for example, um, in in everything, you know, not just football, everything. Uh, so they made sure that people for all walks of life are put into the right positions and jobs. Um, so, and I think it's a bit of a therapy situation for me. I do tell my story um, when I do courses and it's just to bring it to, to, to life, if you like, to say it's still happening now. Yes, in different forms. I mean, we talk about a lot about county lines now and certainly during locks, that lockdown, you know, that, that, that is now a big effect. The use of the internet, where do we start with that? You know, um, I did some work with the police and the, they shut down about 30 websites a day on the oh, dark web. 30 a day? 30 a day they nationally. Uh, and they come from all over the world. But, but they know there's probably double that opening up. So the internet it's a it's a minefield at the present time covid has obviously had a, a massive effect on that um because it's like ourselves talking now you know we would just pop down the road and meet in the pub and have a pint but now people are used to how easy is it to it's far easier now to groom somebody online than it was in my day it had to be face to face so we're yeah. faced yeah. new challenges all the time um and it's how we we combat them challenges um that 
we're in a changing environment, um, you know, for, for, for to make people safe. So the back end of it is, you know, if, if I can make a difference and tell people, yeah, it's okay to say I'm having a bad day today or, you know, I, I'm feeling a bit down, I'm feeling a bit anxious, you know, that's fine. You know, at, at the end of the day, you got to look after your well-being because which employer wants somebody off on a sick for, for three months? You know, but if they get the right support and they get the right, um, you know, coming back to work, if they're given the right tools to deal with it uh, and the right support, then long term, it will save them being off for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. So because you also help employers on, it's not just safeguarding in sport, is it? But, but just, just on sport, last thing then, Derek, is there is there a, a, a thing people can look for when deciding where to send their kids to train? Is there, is, is there like a kite mark? Is there a badge? Is there something? Is there a, a register of qualified trainers? Or, or how, how do people figure their way through this? I think um, in clubs... In football, for example, they have what they call a chartered standard club. And that is where the FA have awarded a club because they have so many procedures and policies in place. So the class is a chartered standard club. Uh, British Gymnastics have elite clubs. Um, so um, that there is things in place, but that ne doesn't necessarily mean that that club is fully you know, safeguarded. You know, yeah. so you could have the best chartered standard club in the in the northeast, but what the question you're asking is, if I was sending my child to a club, whether it be in any sport, first of all, I'd ask, what's your safeguarding policies? Is the coach qualified? Has he has a DBS checked? Yeah, has he um, what what qualifications has he got? Who is the welfare officer of the club? Is there a code of conduct up the club for bullying, harassment, and, and things like that? So I think them the questions, and it doesn't matter what, you know, how good the club is, and what the FA or gymnastics or it, it, cricket boards put out there. It's you as an individual, as a parent, asking them questions, and that will determine which club you send your your child to. In my eyes. I suppose the point there is um, if if the response from the club is, oh, we don't, we don't clot on with any of that crap. <laughs> what, what else do they not clot on with? Well, basically, you're putting your, your, your child, as, as we mentioned before, you know, you're putting them in a position where you wouldn't put them into a school <laughs> like that. You know, and, and, you know, if you look at it, people, people look at schools, people look at how well, you know, they're, they're run, how well they're governed. Um, you know, how do they do an Ofsted? You know, parents will do that with schools um, before they send a child there. They'll look at the, the report, they'll look at the statistics, you know. Why don't we do that in sport? And I think it's just opening that conversation. Yeah. I, I, and going back to the resource thing as well, then Derek, there's probably a lot of football clubs out there or, or any other kind of kind of club but you you work football that's that's why I keep mentioning football there's probably a lot of clubs out there who think blame me if we had any spare money we would love a physio or some clean towels in the clubhouse you know this probably seems like one of the last things that they're going to try and spend money on which is I think why it's 
it's unfair to put that cost on clubs that are barely getting by anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been involved with with local grassroots. I was chairman of Gateshead Football Club for ten years. Um, you know, and and the the, the challenges, as you say, where do you put it on the level? You know, do you want a new set of strips or do you want somebody safeguarding? My sort of comeback to that, if you like, is that I'd rather my kid be safe and knowing he is in a safe environment, enjoying his, his, his sport, um, than a new set of strips. And again, yeah. it's where your priority lies and where the club's priority lies. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the problem is that the, in, in a smaller club, the money comes from either the people that play via subs or from fans who watch sponsorship. Uh, or, or, or sponsorship. And, and it might just be that they need, you know, these clubs need to start asking for different, you know, not just the strip sponsor, but we want someone to actually, you know, chip in and help try to pay for these things. Yeah, definitely. And, and this is where we, we, we you know, we're constantly speaking to the, the governing bodies at the top level to, you know, try and get some funding. You know, if, if you look at Nike, Mars, uh, Coca-Cola, you know, the, and you've, we've just had the Olympics there, Adidas, you know, you see them all sponsoring and they've all got the nice new kits and, and, and all that. But, you know, why doesn't, what for me, if I, if I was in charge of Nike or Sports Direct, for example, um, how good a publicity would that be to say, right, I'm going to give five million quid for safeguarding at grassroots level? Safe, safeguarding sponsor, absolutely. How good publicity would that be for, the, for that organisation? Well, these, these, these you know, big names like Simone Biles, you know, she, you know, one of the best athletes in the world by any measure, pulling out through, you know, mental health and... Maybe we'll see that next yeah. time round, Derek. Yeah. I don't know because because yeah. if anything, big corporate is opportunist. So yes. if to think, uh, and if if a consequence of that opportunism is that there's there's money being put into it, then then you know let's get let's get on with it. And fair play to those people who've spoken out, obviously yourself included. Um, moving away from sport a little bit, then Derek. I mean, are, are you seeing an uptake on? People returning to the office, returning to the factory, the shop. The I mean, I mean, some people just go, oh, "That's a load of crap." Anyway, who cares? But to some people, I presume you know, returning to work is big challenge. Yeah, and and you know, we've done some statistics myself and Justine um, on COVID. I mean, because at the minute, really, we don't know the effect that COVID has had on people's mental health and well-being. Um, but I do some work with Mental Health First Aid England and suicide rates during COVID was up 500%. Um, yeah. Um, so, 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 so once you say we don't know the effects, we're kind of, we know, don't we? we yeah. Just, and, we do. and these are good resources that come from the NSPCC or MIND, um, you know, so that, and obviously the NHS, the NHS. So, Again, you know, sort of pre-COVID, um, and, and another another big thing that you know, um, unfortunately, you know, England did so well in the Euros, um, but domestic violence goes through the roof. Yeah, um, I, I I know I know there's a lot of talk. Um, you know, if the two have a good game, 
yeah. you know, women across the region sigh, you know, a bit of relief, let, yeah. let a sigh of relief, yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's just, but, but it is it, the reality, isn't it? It's, it's bonkers when you, th- but it, when you think but, about it, you know, if, if Newcastle get beat, you know, I mean, you'll have a pint and go home and say, bloody hell, you'll be full of hell, you know, and then, you know, but unfortunately, um, it does have an impact. I mean, the police, yeah. if you speak to the police, they, they hate the Euros when England won, you know, what got beat. They were dreading them getting beat because yeah. they knew that domestic violence would go through the roof. And that statistically is countrywide, well, not in Scotland because they never win anything, but that's a different matter. Um, but certainly, you know, in England, uh, during the Euros, the, the, the police were on constant tender hooks. Going back to work point of view, yes, it's great. Um, you know, we're starting to see um, more uptake. But I, I think one of the things, and obviously that's why I'm involved in safeguarding mental health, is I think people are realising, I mentioned before, I'm doing some work with Greg's next week, uh, with their managers. So they realise that they've got a staff of over 4,000 countrywide, but they've got no mental health and wellbeing trainers. Right. So, you know, we're, we're doing, starting to do some work with them because they've realised that, you know, we want people to come back to work, but people may be anxious about coming back to work uh, because they've been off some time. Um, they may be worried about, is their job safe, you know, after furlough? So there's a lot of things in the mix at the present time that people are still a, a uncertain about. Obviously, furlough finishes in a couple of weeks. You know, and I talk to a lot of businesses, and I'm sure you do, um, and the same, well, we don't need as much staff or we don't need as much office space because people can work from home. So I think, again, there may be a change in environment of how yeah. we work, and I'm sure you probably experience this probably more than myself and the clients uh, you uh, deal with. Um, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we well, see a lot, yeah. Yeah. So, again, that, that has an impact on people's well-being. You know, working from home is, can be a good thing. But again, you can be stuck in a, you know, a little office in your own home, and you're not getting that out and doing doing any activities. So yeah. it, it, it again, it it has its downside as well. But just just like you said there as well about you know if the result goes the wrong way in a footy match, if you're in a home that isn't a good home, being stuck in that home, you, you might be you know desperate to get out of the place and 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 I think there's just so many hidden angles on this that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know where you begin, but fair play for taking this on, Derek, and you know, yeah. you and Justine and trying trying to do what you can to to, to get your way through this. Um, are, are there any good, you know, any any good resources out there where people can go and find out more about what you're up to and and, and you know if they've got an issue, but they maybe think, well, you know, Derek seems canny, but. He's too far from me, or he's not for me. I mean, where 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 do people go? Where's the first port of call? Yeah, I think if you're involved with sport, um, the Child Protection and Sport Unit, the CPSU, uh, if you visit their website, they have a lot of good good resources on there, particularly around COVID as well. Um, they've they're constantly um, updating their their videos and 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 material. Um, Mind, uh, obviously, you know, is a, is a charity. Um, they they have again for mental health. They have a lot of good resources on there. Um, obviously, you've got the NSPCC. Um, you know, for child is in care, and 
you know, just one little thing I learned that um, what what uh, I'll share this with people if, if it's okay because it's out there. Um, if a child is particularly coming from a um, an Asian background and they're, they're getting abuse and they go through the airport, they carry a spoon with them, right? Now, once they go through, they show the spoon to the uh, the people of passport and that's a sign to say that i don't want to get on this flight right okay that's interesting so so, you know, so what, what what's the connection to asian children there then is is that i think it's because it's of the honor violence the country or yeah i think it's been oh, taken out the country for cse you know extra child exploitation um right, again okay. it is it, quite big in this country you know bigger than what people think um, you know, we look at the, the, the Rochdale scenario, the Rotherham scenarios, um, you know, and, and I learned this from a police officer who worked at the Newcastle Airport. And he said that, you know, one of the signs is children will research it. And they have had people going through the airport and they've just put out a spoon. Right. You know. And, and, know. and then once the spoon's out, that's it because they they can't talk with it with you know and and again it it, it's not it's not just the the asian community it's 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 everybody you know um you know any ethnic background you know can go and one of the signs and this come from the the ns it actually came from the nspcc if you're scared to talk out because it might be your parent who's abusing you, or maybe somebody, your uncle, your auntie, um, whoever it may be, um, is to show a spoon at the airport, which I found, mm, that's not a bad idea, you know? Just a little thing, but... Hope yeah, it, no, yeah. I But certainly, I, I the, honestly you know, don't, know want, don't want everybody going to a spoon with an airport and, and showing a spoon, you know? Um, but, you know, if you do see it, um, and, and it's you quite do what the right You do what the right people to do it, though. That's, yeah. That's so, correct, yeah. yeah. But say, I think there's a lot more things now. So, sorry, Derek. I, there's a lot more things now, like, I, 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 I don't know exactly what they are. To be fair, they're not targeted at me, I don't think. But there's, there's, there's like, you know, you can ring certain numbers and pretend you're ordering a pizza, for instance, if you're a woman who wants to get out the house. And there's there's a lot of good... Yeah. Kind of, so, so you mentioned before the internet is is, is its own nest that needs yes. to be solved. But actually, you know, the use of technology helps to get things out. Like, you Most know, here's definitely. a number you can ring. Ask for someone on the call, or and, and it, it, there are now some really good initiatives out there, aren't there? Oh, there's some amazing, and again, Samaritans do a lot of good work. Um, you know, particularly during lockdown, where people are locked in. You know, if it was domestic violence that the, yeah. the, 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 the man or the woman may be experiencing, you know, they, they did a lot of good work around supporting and how to come out and talk. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 there's a lot of good resources out there now. And I've mentioned just a few. Um, yeah. But so, yeah. And, 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 and I don't want to drag someone's name through for no reason, but I, th- I, th- I think it was Bristol, the... the player who kind of went you know it wouldn't happen to me i would just give someone a hiding or man up or something like that i mean surely there's less and less people now and i'm not saying he you know he he was an overall bad person but he certainly seemed to say the wrong thing there let's put it that way 
I mean, are, are there less and less people now with that kind of old school macho attitude, testosterone filled kind of attitude? Um, I think there's still people out there who think that, you know, unfortunately, but I don't think they'll come out in public to say it because right. of the of the 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 the, the feedback that we get, like the Bristol got. You know, um, you know, he got, he got hammered. So, you know, if, if you're in the limelight and you're going to make them sorts of statements, you've got to be prepared for some backlash. Um, you know, so I think, but also I think people are a lot more aware, and that's why we're talking on this sort of conversation here. People are more aware about mental health now. You know, they're more, they're more educated about it um, because it's in the schools. You know, our children now are, are taught about well-being and mental health. Uh, they're taught about safeguarding. They're taught, you know, at an early age about uh, about sex. You know, it's part of the curriculum. Whereas, you know, when when I certainly I know you <laughs> were a child, um, you know, we none of that was ever discussed in the classroom. Might have been in the play, might be in the play yard, but um, we certainly never discussed it was part of the curriculum. So no, I think. No. The, ne- the nearest we got, I think, is all, all, all of the lads all got took on a walk around the neighbourhood while it turned out the girls were getting the, the, the talk about, you know, what happens in a period and that. Yeah, that was the yeah. nearest we got in our school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that there's a lot more out there. And then and I think, you know, and, and again, it's, it's just re-emphasising the point about, you know, you know, you know you're not manning up. All you're doing is saying, listen, and I, I remember this story once, you know, if you don't mind sharing it, um, when I, uh, well, I, I had my, my knee operation um, and the, the surgeon at the time uh, for Newcastle said, uh, right, you've got to be in plaster for six weeks um, and then you'll be on crutches, for, I think, for two months. Now, crucial ligament injuries, you know, it's keyhole surgery now and you're walking the next day. But, you know, way back in the day, and, and I says, oh, on crutches for two months. He says, yeah, yeah. I says, well, can I not just be one month? And he says, no, no. He says, well, I, I'll turn something around. I says, uh, you need to, this needs to heal. Your knee needs to heal. You know, the, 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 the stitching and the internal stitching, and that needs to heal, so it needs to be rested. And then when I was getting some therapy once, um, my, 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 the, the, the guy who was sort of, giving me therapy, said, what did you do at Newcastle when you had an injury? I said, well, the surgeon told us to be in plaster for six weeks and be on crutches for two months. He says, so basically, yeah, something wasn't right and you rested it. I went, yeah. He says, well, if something is not right in your head, it needs to be rested. Yeah. And I, and I didn't think of it that way. And, and people who you know, go through depression, anxiety, um, and, and any sort of, you know, mental mental illness, just rest your head. <laughs> you know, because if you had a, if you broke your leg, you you'd be in plaster and having crutches. So yeah, the, yeah. The, the brain is no different. The brain needs time to 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 take in things. You know, because there's been something that's triggered that emotion in your head, right? Just rest, rest yourself. You know, it's okay to just stop in the house and, and put your feet up. You know, switch your work phone off. You know, rest your head. Yeah. Because it's yeah, not that's... visible. 
because of, because it's not visible that you haven't got a plaster you know, on your leg or, or on crutches. If we see somebody like that, say, oh, he's not very well. He's got a broken leg. But we don't see that in yeah. mental health. It's not visible at times. But well, that's, I, I, that was advice that was well given to me. Yeah, because also with, I think it's a different kind of pain, isn't it? If you've got a broken leg and you forget and you stand on it, you shop, get a warning off your body telling you to pack them in. But yeah. I, think, I, think, I, th I think some of we're very good at masking kind of mental issues, aren't we? It's like, yeah. oh no, I, I'll be okay. I'm just having a bad day. You think, hold yeah. on, how many bad days have you had in a row now? <laughs> this, yeah. it, 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 it's not just a bad years day. Of it. <laughs> I was going to say, I can't wear that. Nine, what's that? Nine, you know, 9,000 bad days. So it, it's, yeah. it's, it's not that simple, is it? No. Um, so listen, Derek, that's been, that's been great. Thank you very much, sir. Um, yeah, I no wish problem. you and Justine well and, and keep doing the good work you're doing. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for inviting me, Martin, and uh, hope everybody's safe. And again, it's it's okay not to be okay. <laughs>